0: Hi, everyone. My name is Miles Surat, and I serve as the Associate Director of Campus Activities and Events at Clemson University. I'm also ha- happy to be your host for the Nashville Leadership Podcast, presented by the Student Leadership Programs Knowledge Community. We are here in, uh, for the third episode of our five-part series with uh, Drs. Kathy Guthrie and Dan Jenkins on their new book, The Role of Leadership Educators, Transforming Learning. Uh Dr. Kathy Guthrie is an Associate Professor of Higher Education in the Department of Educational Leadership and Policy Studies at Florida State University, and Dr. Dan Jenkins is Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. Welcome, Kathy and Dan.
1: Hi. Hello.
0: Hello. So episode three here, uh, we are going to discuss and focus this time on uh, making leadership education learner centric. So <clears throat> you'll find a lot of information in the book here uh, here on chapter uh, in chapter four. So we're going to focus our conversation around that. Uh, but before we do that, let's uh, just take a, a minute here to get to know uh, Kathy and Dan a little bit better. So. Kathy, how do you think that your daughter has helped you move along in your own personal development?
1: Oh, yes, definitely. And anyone that's a parent can definitely, you know, (laughs) relate to this. But, um, you know, she, not only are you hyper self-aware, because, you know, my daughter is four, almost five, and now is repeating things. I mean, she has been for years, but repeating things and, and you know, imitating me so you are very self-aware of things um, and trying to be the best version of yourself so your daughter can, you know, <laughs> emulate that versus not the best part of yourself. But I would say, you know, um, shortly after, it was an aha moment for me, uh, shortly after she was born, I was actually at a session um, for Leadership Facilitators and because I am a part of um, Leadership and have been for many years. And one of the first questions is, like, so why do we do this work? Why do we put our heart and soul into leadership education? Why are you here? And I was actually the last one to go, and it was a group of about 10 of us. And as it was getting closer to me, I had this, like, emotion starting to, you know, kind of bubble inside. And I realized that I really do this work. Um, I've always had purpose in the work that I do. But even more so now, um, I do it because I want this world to be a better place for her and our all of our young people, that, that how are we continually moving forward? And I think leadership is key for that. How are we making positive, sustainable change and moving forward? And so I feel like she has really strengthened and really sharpened that focus and that has helped me in my own development and just being a better person and really striving for that best version i feel like i always have tried to do that but not as the intensity as what i do now because of her so yeah i would definitely say that she has helped me in that um refocus and re and purpose for what i do
0: okay um Dan, I know you're. I know you're a real uh, craft beer connoisseur. So I'm going to ask you um, what I'm sure will come. I just keep giving you these challenging questions where you have to pick one thing. We did it with the, <laughs> with the leadership book in the first episode, uh, and now I'm got another doozy for you. So if you could only drink one beer for the rest of your days, what would you pick and why?
2: Oh man, just wanna. You know,
0: um,
2: probably it's probably not going to happen. So I've, I've, I've. Uh, I've sampled over 1,200 unique beers um, in my days, uh, so uh, rising through the, the beer beer geek uh, fame, I guess. Um, but, yeah, connoisseur, beer geek, uh, I guess they're mutually, uh, you know, it's the same thing there, and they're interchangeable. And, you know, it's hard to pick one because styles are, are important, um, but I can... You know, I think that the IPAs um, and the Imperial Stouts, you know, to go from one uh, end of the spectrum to the other, um, you know, are, are it's going to be one of one the other of those extremes uh, for me. So really, um, you know, Maine, uh, and that certainly was one of the things you asked about the transition in one of the previous podcasts, and, um, you know, being going somewhere that the craft beer scene was was just starting to grow, uh with cigar city and some of the others in the Tampa area. Uh to to New England and Maine specifically. Uh, they had about 30 craft breweries when I moved up here 6 years ago. They've got about 130 now. Um some of my favorites are so I'm going I'm going to name off a couple um that that would be on my short list. Uh I'm not, you're not going to get that just one from me. Uh, Miles, I'm sorry, but the uh Maine oh, Beer Dan. Company – their lunch IPA is fantastic. Uh, I could drink that one for forever. Uh, Sebago's prize Leap IPA, uh, Masked landing. That's probably one of my favorite new breweries out there. Their dash, uh, IPA is, is just incredible. Um, you know, it's gotta be one of those, you know, real juicy, uh, unfiltered, uh, IPAs. Um, but really anything from mass landing, um, is going to do it. Um, as far as the IPAs go. And, uh, going back to the to the dark side, the uh the the two best Imperial Stouts I've ever come across is the uh the North Coast old Rasputin uh Russian Imperial Stout. Uh, I could drink that uh forever. Uh and um that and the uh, the Yeti uh, that comes out of Great Divide over in uh, Denver, Colorado. So man, to get to get it I can maybe give you like a three or a four, but uh just one, oh man. <laughs>
0: All right, well, it was, a, it was a noble effort. We aimed high and, and ended up, uh, ended up <laughs> in, a, in a discerning place, I think. That was, that was good. Um, all right, Kathy, how about this one? Uh, what would you name your memoir?
1: I laughed because I was, when you said memoir, my thought, my mind went directly to um, songs and music, actually, and thought about, what well, would I name a book? That's the song. I'm a huge Jimmy Buffett fan, so I'm a huge Pearhead. And I thought of the song, Growing Older But Not Up. And I realized that I am growing older, but I haven't, feel like I've grown up quite a bit. <laughs> and so I would say that, that that should be my memoir. It'd be fun talking about growing older, but just not quite growing up. So not serious at all, but something really fun. I think that's what I would name it.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Dan, I know almost nothing about playing the piano. I know you've been, <laughs> uh, I know you've been playing uh, since you were seven years old. Uh, the only thing I really know is that people say it's advantageous to have long fingers. Uh, is that true, and can you provide me a very quick <laughs> education on things that I should know about the piano? Sure. Um, yeah, it can certainly
2: be uh, advantageous, but not you don't want your fingers to be too long. I think it's more about um, the width, the kind of the stride. Um, in fact, there's a, a a a style called the stride uh, stride piano playing. If you think back to uh, Scott Joplin's uh, rags, like the Maple Leaf Rag and the Entertainer, that you hear on uh, it's either that or another song that's on every ice cream truck um, that comes around the neighborhood in, in, in the summer. Um, and those do require to, for you to have quite a quite a reach and quite a, a you know a, a span with with your hands. So and to certainly into play any of the uh, you know the pieces by like Vince Guaraldi. You think of the uh, the piano uh, in the background of all of the Snoopy and Peanuts, uh, Charlie Brown, you know, uh, films or movies, cartoons, whatever you want to call them. You know that that kind of jazz feel, and so it it's advantageous. Um, it's more about you know technique and, and being able to really bounce around the those 88 keys, um, but it never hurts to be able to. Get to more of the keys uh, without having to move your hand. Um, so, yes, I'll, I'll, the short answer is it's ad, it's advantageous for sure. Uh, but practice uh, putting in that time in practice can certainly uh, develop some of those those skills and make you a little quicker for those notes that you can't reach
0: um, without moving your hand. Okay. All right. That's that's good to know. I I feel like I've uh, I've learned something about pianos today. So that's that's good news. Uh, and and obviously something about beer as well, and about you know the developmental aspect of being a parent. So I'm really p- picking things up here. And that Kathy's a parrot head. So this was really productive. For me. Uh, all right, uh, Kathy. So in our preparation for the series, uh, y'all identified learner-centric leadership education as a key point for discussion and chapter. For presents a variety of notions about how to, how to go about achieving the same. So, before we dive too deeply into that, can you provide a quick summary of what of what y'all mean when you're talking here about learner-centric leadership education?
1: Yes, you know, and it's really as simple as focusing on what is being learned, right? I think sometimes I know for me, you know, sometimes we all get so busy that it's easy to just say, okay, I'm going to teach this because this is what I know and what knowledge I want to impart, but you're really not thinking about, well, what really needs to be learned and how do people learn that? And so when we're saying learner-centric, it's really focusing on the learning to then develop the teaching instead of developing the teaching and hope that people will be learning what you want to teach. And so it's just continually saying, you know, and this is, you know, it seems like a simple concept, like, well, of course we should be doing that. But so often that's missed. And so thinking about what, going back to what do we want to be learned and how do people learn, learn that. And so the learner centric is just really focused on the learning first.
0: Okay, great. So Danielle introduced this uh, this interesting analogy for curriculum design based on a steering wheel, um, and I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. So, can you walk us through that general concept? Sure,
2: sure. So, you know, that was one of the the major foundational uh, you know frameworks and, and ideas that Kathy and I talked about in probably one of our first conversations about. About the book was you know what is this this process of you know if we're going to be learner centric what is our you know framework for leadership leadership learning and um, it, it really it, it came down to this this steering wheel um, because we uh, went back and forth and actually John Dubin introduced this this idea to me um, you know years ago in a conversation we had about you know this invisible or unseen you know architecture um, and you know from a scaffolding perspective it's it's this, you know, three-dimensional, um, you know, process that leadership educators are are uh, are, are tacked with, uh, tasked with designing, and so, you know, we know that there's the content. Uh, if, you know, if you're looking in the in the book and thinking about this, the steering wheel. You know, you've got your hands on the the content and the leadership knowledge, um, and that's you know everything is based in you know that that agreed upon. Uh, you know, the models, the terminology, the approaches, the theories, you know, all all these things that we consider to be the knowledge of of leadership, you know, and all all of its interdisciplinary goodness. Um, And so at the center of of that, you know, the direction that that we're going is uh, in the direction of metacognition and critical thinking and mindfulness. You know, we want, um, you know, our our students, you know, as an outcome, you know, what do do we want them to be able to do, Uh, what do what do we want them to be able to know, um, you know, they we want them to be mindful um, of their own behavior, of the behavior of others, to you know have this framework um, of, of content where they can identify and understand and observe and, and you know make uh, snap decisions and and you know really be intentional with their own leadership uh, practice and the, their own activity of leadership, and so that's where um, you know that's at the center. Um, and surrounded by the leadership knowledge, and then there were the, the four kind of offshoot, you know, uh, pieces of, of the steering wheel that, that connect everything, that connect the leadership knowledge to the metacognition. And you know, from from that unseen architecture, these are all the things that are kind of you know floating up and floating around um, that we're cognizant of when we're doing courses on curriculum design and um, and educational design that uh, the first thing, the leadership development, you know, it's that, that human, the inter- intrapersonal aspects of, uh, of leadership learning. You know, what are what are learners' values and needs? You know, what are their personal motivations uh, for, for leading? And, you know, how do we, uh, you know, push them uh, to, to become better um, through, you know, through experience? Uh, what's their, uh, what experiences do they have? And how do we garner those experiences and make meaning um, through different to um, different intentional um, activities, you know, really getting them to promote some of their own mind mapping and vision statements and really dive deep into their own, uh, into their own experiences and, and, and feelings. Um, one of the other pieces of that, uh, of that model is the I think, leadership observation. You know, going back to that metacognitive piece, you know, um, we, look, we see a lot and we experience a lot of social and cultural um, aspects of learning. It's very constructivist in, in nature because we're, we're making our own meaning of what we see. Um, but we, if we don't have that grounding in the content, then we don't have the terminology of which to, you know, express and, and define what it is that we see so that we can understand it um, and create those those learning opportunities. And so that observation, you know, whether in a leader or a follower role, um, is, you know, one of those, those four arching um, you know, pieces of the model. And we move from um, leadership development and leadership observation uh, to, you know, leadership training. You know, these are all the different um, spaces where, uh, and learning and education that focus on skills and competency aspects. And so, you know, we want folks to be able to do certain things when they leave. It could be communication. It could be uh, providing feedback. Uh, You know, it could be, um, you, know, giving, you know, giving a presentation of some type. It could be facilitation. It could be uh, facilitating discussion in particular. You know, but there are specific things that we want learners to be able to do when they leave our leadership programs, and that's what um, that focuses on. And the last one is this idea of leadership engagement. Uh, well, those are those experiences uh, that we try to facilitate um, in, our, in our classes. You know, it's the experiential, it's the relational, it's the interactional, um, and the interpersonal. Um, we want folks to have op- opportunities and experiences um, in our classrooms. Uh, it could be you know actually going out and doing you know service service learning. It could be simulations and games it's those highly experiential um, highly active uh, a- activities that we um, that we want our students to have and so you know it's this one big s- scaffolded uh, piece of architecture that we call. Uh, leadership education in, in each uh, course, each workshop, each program is an opportunity uh, for leadership educators to, to take learners through, uh, you know, through through the steering wheel, if you will, where we're driving them, uh, you know, through this through this invisible uh, through this invisible architecture.
0: Okay, great. So. <clears throat> I thought maybe y'all could both um, share. Maybe we'll start with Kathy, just to make this as practical practical as possible for folks. Um, could you each share a personal example of one of the strategies that y'all include in Chapter Four in uh, a successful application for curricular or co-curricular use? So maybe maybe Kathy, you could start us off.
1: Yes, absolutely. And you know, and the other thing with the steering wheel, the analogy is, I also think. You know, Dan had said that educators drive the students, help them drive through. I also think that it is the learner's part of their responsibility to drive their own learning. And so I also think of that steering wheel is also that they're able to take learning into their, you know, own hands and in their own control to really, you know, go forth and, and do this different these different types of learning um, with leadership. And so one of I would say an example that I would offer up, um, I'll do the co-curricular context, is, really thinking about, you know, potentially like an emerging leader series. And um, I was at an institution not too long ago that their emerging leader series was a series of lectures. And so then I was asking them, well, how are you helping students and guiding students to make meaning of the lectures that they're hearing? Because I think Lectures can be incredible if students are really observing and really taking in the content and then making meaning of it, that metacognition piece. But then some, sometimes it just drops off, right? Students leave the lecture and just don't ever, you know, the speaker and don't really think about it ever again. And so how do you draw it into that meaning-making process? And so because, you know, a speaker can be an observation, um, but it can also be... A way to engage if they're able to talk about it with someone and process it, which then leads to that metacognition. The other um, example I would offer up is the use of observation as far as student organizations and when they're transitioning. How are like transitioning, you know, executive boards or you know the leadership in an organization? How are they observing the? current leaders in positions that are facilitating meetings and running different programs, how are they observing those, you know, those individuals so that they they will either model that or change that behavior. And so again, it goes back to how are we guiding them in, Conversation in some type of reflection activity to then get into that metacognition. But you know, even that example that I provided, they're observing. But then also, there could be skill and competency development with training. There's that interrelational. There's the knowledge. I feel like anytime we say anything about leadership, whether it's a new theory, we are discussing because language is huge. It's, it's so important in how we're framing things because that then is perpetuated or <laughs> or taken and. Um, done with what will be done. So how are um, we providing multiple different ways of learning in, you know, either a series or transition of leadership for co-curricular programs. So those are just some quick um, examples that I would say bring it to life more.
0: Great. So, Dan, how about you?
2: Yeah, I think that... um, Probably one that that sticks out for me um, as a personal example is uh, one of is is using these what we call the observation instruments, and um, I think it can be used with with anybody with any anyone's you know framework or or model that you might be using. And I'm going to go with the curricular you know context or curricular uh, use. Um, The example that um, that I use uh, in a class that I teach a couple times a year. we use Cousins and Posner's Leadership Challenge as one of the primary textbooks, and so there's the five practices of exemplary, uh, exemplary leadership, and um, as they're reading through that, um, students are given this assignment that they observe a, uh, a leader that they work closely with, you know, throughout the, the course of the semester, and um, and they're observing the leader through the lens of the, uh, you know, the five practices from from the Leadership Challenge, and so um, it's activating a lot of the the pieces of, of the steering wheel, if you will, uh, because they um, the knowledge or the content is is the model, uh, you know, is the five practices. Um, they're being um, they're focusing specifically on the leadership observation because you're saying, hey, you know. Um, Kind of sit back and observe this person, you know, that is in a leadership position in your in your organization. What 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 does their behavior look like? You know, how are they um, modeling or or negating um, these concepts that are uh, being are, have been shown or are being suggested as uh, exemplary practices of leaders? And so, um, if they're doing these things, great. You know, talk more about that. How does that connect to other things that? Um, you've read or seen uh, in your life, or, or in other texts, uh, or other information presented uh, during the semester. Um, and if they're not, why not? And what could be the cause of that? And you know, what are you, um, what are you learning from from that? Um, and so it's activating um, certainly the leadership development and some of the metacognitive skills um, as well, because you're you know, you're you're for, you're, you're force observing or uh, uh, forcing them to observe these uh, these folks, in their you know natural environment of the organization, and so um for me, there's a lot of the invisible or unseen architecture going on um there, both uh, when the uh, you know observer or the student is actively observing, but as well when they're reflecting and making meaning uh, when they're writing their reflection logs uh, on those uh, experiences, those observations, um, and then there's a a, a piece where they are uh, asked to think about, you know, what they learned and what they might change in their own habits and behaviors based on uh, what they've learned from observing these individuals through uh, you know, through this framework, and and again, it could work with with any framework. It could be transformational leadership. It could be servant leadership. It could be you know the seven Cs of the social change model. Depending on you know whether you're looking at a person or an organization. You know, going back to Kathy's example about uh, student organizations, I could see uh, you know using various frameworks uh, as a as a lens to observe um, you know a meeting or a process or an event that's put on. So um, that that example really sticks out for me.
0: All righty. So uh, now that we've sort of built and, and, and uh, put, some, uh, put some context to the idea of learner, learner-centric leadership education, I think it's relevant to discuss that there's a critical aspect to this charge. Um, and one line from Chapter 4 in particular stood out to me. Uh, uh, it said that leadership development programs are often created from a buffet of activities educators experience themselves or observed filled with entertaining activities generated around the availability of facilitators and are void of any sense of content or curricular sequencing. So there's a fair amount to unpack here. And so, um, Kathy, if we can, we can start with this, what, what catalyzed this particular observation? Was there a data set? Was there a, uh, you know, was there a, uh, you know, an observation? Was this just, you know, uh, you know, something that came up as a part of conversation? I was just sort of curious about that.
1: Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I can talk to just 15 years of um, leadership, being a leadership educator and and having conversations with many other leadership educators that I know this is how I first started off as a leadership educator. When I truly am honest with myself, right, that's not something that I want to say, oh, yeah, I totally just did what I thought was cool. No, absolutely. That's what I did. And it was sheer out of, I I hate to say this, but out of survival, right? Because I didn't have a lot of time. And this is really particularly when I was in student activities that I would be like, oh, that speaker was awesome. I saw him at NACA. That was awesome. So I'm going to put that speaker in and say it's a leadership, you know, development opportunity. And so whether I had observed it or experienced it, and so – um, and then also, I know that I think, well, how did I best develop as a leader? I'm going to provide people with that same type of experience that I had because I know that I developed, and so hopefully that will be the same. However, mine is one story. I'm a white woman. You know, my context is very different. And so I think that we will slip into that um, just out of sheer we don't have enough time. And I would hear leadership educators across the country saying that they were doing the same thing. You know, I had one um, individual at a small private that they had a fairly large budget for leadership, but she's like, I have money, but I don't have time to create something. So I just go and pick what I can and bring people onto campus as I can. And so I think especially those who have multiple hats that they're wearing, that that you try to combine those. And so I would say that there are – You know, years of conversations and knowing that I did this myself, if I am truly honest and if people are truly honest, this just happens. And so how are we slowing down and being more intentional? And part of that was how are we really thinking about, you know, learning outcomes and that scaffolding that Dan was talking about? How are we really building and even having learning outcomes? I'll never forget when I asked, um, I was doing some consulting on a campus and I said, so what is your learning outcome for this leadership program? And they just kind of looked at me and said, well, what do you want students to learn? And they're like, to be a leader. And I was like, can you be a little bit more specific? Right? Like, is, yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And what what exactly? Because, you know, from an hour session, they're not going to all of a sudden become a leader. Right? Being a leader and engaging in the leadership process is absolutely a lifelong endeavor. And so what part are you wanting to focus on? And so um, it is a lot to unpack. And I'm still unpacking it daily, I'll be honest, about how how do we perpetuate some of this? How do I perpetuate some of this? And how do I make sure I don't? Um, always tell the story most often told, as John Dugan says in his book, that I love, I love that thing because I think that happens. And so how are we really pausing and then being intentional about leadership development programs that are created very intentionally and not because it was a great speaker that I saw at a conference? yes, that could be a part of it, but then how are we taking it a step further to make sure that the meaning-making is happening, that metacognition is happening, so that then they can really apply it to their life, and that it just doesn't get lost in the craziness of their day, but that it truly has an influence in their being and their learning of leadership.
0: So, uh, Dan, how about this? So, I know uh, we've Talked about this a little bit. It's already been mentioned. I'm sure we'll. I'm sure we'll come back to it. And it's very clear from reading the reading the pedagogy section of the section of the book that um, y'all deeply value the experiential and, and leadership education. Um, so, do you think some of this issue, this uh, you know, this buffet of activities, entertaining entertaining activities, um, you know, curricular uh, content and curricular sequencing? Do you think that this is this comes from a commitment to experiential learning in leadership? Do you think that that's part of the issue?
2: I mean, I think it could be, you know, the, the edutainment, you know, uh, idea that that's thrown around a lot. I mean, we want learners uh, of leadership to experience the, the content, you know, and we, um, you know, from the, from the research that I've done um, and also, you know, from certainly, you know, expansive you know uh, uh, you know immersion into the literature you know we you're not going to learn much more than the content uh, of leadership through you know rote memorization tests and quizzes you know if, if well I want you to know what what year Burns wrote leadership you know um, that doesn't that's not going to help you be a better leader if you can you know, quote this theory or or that theory. What we want you to be able what we want you to be able to do is the critical piece there. And so, um, by engaging learners and by um, creating experiences or opportunities for learners to reflect on experiences, um, it has to be an active environment. Um, and so, you know can we go overboard? You know, sure. You know, are we, uh, you know, should everything be a theatrical choreographed production, uh, in the classroom? Probably not. Um, do we want facilitators to be intentional and to have some structure, uh, and learning outcomes as, as Kathy alluded to, of course, you know, and so I think it's, it's finding that, that happy medium, um, of, you know, doing things that are, that are scripted and intentional, um, whether they be simulation or games or role play or, uh, or discussion, or or, or team building activities, or icebreakers. Um, you know, we gotta. Sometimes we want to engage the students and get them out of their their comfort zones, but but also we want to um, entertain students sometimes to, you know, make the uh, to make the experience meaningful for them and, and attractive to them and and, and motivating. Um, and so sometimes we have to um, take some liberties, if you will, to, um, to wrap it up nicely. Um, but at the same time, I think we can we can get there um, without having to to be so edutainment-y uh, in our approaches. <laughs> uh, we we know that students live from or learn from the experience, and and. Uh, You know, we we just got to be careful. You know, uh, and to be, we've got to employ our mindfulness and our metacognition uh, as as leadership educators uh, in those uh, when those things occur. All
0: right. Um, So I wondered here if both of y'all could kind of kind of. You know, provide some feedback here. Maybe start with Kathy. Do y'all believe that the entertaining activities that you're talking about here? um, Do y'all think that that, those are designed for the facilitators? Because you know, I think the assumption in this in this um, in this information here is that the facilitators go with these entertaining activities either for the satisfaction of the learners or because it's just something that they themselves enjoy or are comfortable with. Or do you think that it's designed, like, very much with the, you know, with the learners in mind? You know, I, again, you know, you read the back half of this book that's about pedagogy. Nobody would argue that y'all are arguing, that y'all are saying this should be, you know, stage on a stage, uh, and that's the way leadership education should work. Um, but do you think that this is, you know, do you think this entertaining activities critique is, is really based on an attempt to engage, you know, to engage learners in a, you know, in sort of a non traditional way?
1: I first have to acknowledge Dan's edutainment You <laughs> made up a <laughs> word in there that I absolutely love. You're probably in But, you know, I do – I think that, you know, and it's not saying that entertaining the way um, – you know, if you just say entertaining, it's, I feel like that is bad. But I do believe that there are different styles of learning, going back to the learning framework, the leadership learning framework, and, and, and even learning styles, even going back to that, that we do – all engage differently with material, and not saying that learning and, um, you know, teaching can't be entertaining. I don't think that's it, but it's when it's not intentionally done. So more so, I think, for me, it's making sure that whatever is being provided and it's being called leadership education, that it really should focus and have the learning outcomes and be intentional, and then also make sure that it connects with that meaning-making, that reflection, that metacognition to then kind of tie it together. When I think of, um, you know, great motivational speakers, I think they definitely have a place as long as then we can connect it with what intentional learning you are hoping to achieve with students. And so, I, you know, I can see how these entertaining activities probably are designed for both. I would definitely say learners because there there's a great time and place for that. But then also facilitators that, you know, it's how are we connecting with the learners? How are we, you know, making sure that the message is getting across? But, again, it's that intentional piece. So it's not so much for me about that, you know, because I do not believe learning should be boring and stoic, right? I feel like it should be dynamic. It should be entertaining. It should be engaging. It should tap in on those passions, whatever that passion is for that certain learner, But how are we doing that very intentionally to make sure that we're hitting it right where we should be instead of, okay, I'm just going to throw this all in there because I have, you know, $10,000 to spend and I can do this and this and this and this and provide the food and then I'm going to call it a leadership program, but how are we actually saying, okay, so this is a learning outcome and this is – you know, these are what I want to accomplish in this day. These are what students should learn. This is how I'm going to assess that they learn. And so really building that up and using that $10,000 still, but making sure that it's really hitting the mark instead of, you know, just kind of throwing stuff together. So that's would say for both.
0: All right, Dan, how about you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's you know uh, it stems from you know be be purposeful with your pedagogy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of uh, of integrating you know props and and, and costumes and um, and other you know types of things in, in the classroom. Um, and I think probably early in my career it was well, this is fun, you know, that we're going to do this. And, and I um, I think that I was you know there was some some subconscious subliminal uh, intentionality in in what I was doing and then uh, I uh, quickly learned uh, to be a more skilled uh, facilitator and specifically a debriefer um, during those early phases of of teaching and you know now when I um, and and shortly you know thereafter at the beginning but now when we will do icebreakers or other types of team-building activities as an example um, the props, the costumes, the funny situations uh, that we might uh, might have the students engage in. The purpose there is not only for them to dive into the content, but um, from the briefing standpoint, when we say, hey, you know, why did we do this activity? It's, and uh, the students will, will get it, and they'll say, well, we you know, we needed to be vulnerable. We needed to kind of step up and, and, and be silly with each other so that we can develop some trust uh, with one another. We, If we're all doing this, you know, uh, if we're all thrown at these ludicrous uh, situations, um, and we can laugh with each other, laugh at each other a little bit, you know, tastefully, and um, that'll kind of open up the, the environment. You know, we'll have more uh, purposeful discussion, you know, in... Uh, the rest of the semester, will have those experiences to uh, you know to relate back to and reflect on. And so I think that while well, some of these things are you know going back, they're entertainment, deep um, they also provide this um, you know this bridge for for learners to open up a bit um, when they're done when they're done for the right reasons. And so uh, I could I could see some of it uh, being a catalyst for. Uh, for engagement um, and for uh, from making for students.
0: All right, um, Kathy, maybe uh, maybe you can uh, just close us out on this. Um, in episode one, we talked about the complexity and sort of the deep pool of uh, of student leadership theory and and programs, and so. Um, does the complexity of what this proposes, uh, this you know, the the learner-centric leadership education, run contrary to the training shortage that we you know that we acknowledged earlier, and that you know is certainly at the heart of this project that that you and uh, that you and Dan have undertaken?
1: It actually seems to align perfectly for me in my mind that there is this deep pool and. Sometimes, you know, it might feel like you're throwing, you know, a dart and trying to figure out what theory to use or what framework to use. And when you don't know that that's sometimes what it is, you're just kind of saying, okay, I'm going to throw something on a wall and see what sticks, where with the conversation and the training aspect, then it can really focus in on, okay, so what do I need? What does make sense for, you know, my context of, you know, institution, program, I mean, there's, uh, you know, and we'll will be talking about more about context, but that is a huge part of what are we trying to teach and what are we trying to make sure that students learn and what context. And so by taking all of those complexities, I think that training, we should continue the conversation. And I feel like even our book just scratches the surface, but it's a starting point of where we should be. Um, should be headed as far as um, leadership educator professional development.
0: All righty. Well, that is that is uh, I think a wonderful note to end on, and a you know, and a really nice uh, a really nice thought. So, thanks everyone for joining us for the NASA Leadership Podcast presented by the NASA Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community, and thanks to Dr. Dr. Kathy Guthrie and Dan Jenkins. Uh, the Role of Leadership Educators, Transforming Learning is available now. Um, please check back. We've got uh, two more episodes coming in the next couple of weeks, so uh, please check back for those. Um, you can get more information about the Student Leadership Program's knowledge community on our various social media outlets, including Facebook, which is facebook.com, backslash SALEAD, on Twitter, at NASPA S-L-P-K-C on Instagram at NASPA underscore SLPKC. And finally, if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, we'd love to hear about your programs. So please shoot an email over to naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, Anna, and Kathy. Thank you. Thanks.